Hey everyone, it's Alyssa Satara, and welcome to this episode of Haven't Said Enough. Today, we're diving into part two of the Haven't Said Enough About Refugees segment, where we have the opportunity to sit down with the wonderful Zach Grassi, who you may know from his work on the Netflix documentaries Salam Neighbor and Living on One. Please join us as we discuss his experience living in the Zatari refugee camp while filming Salam Neighbor. Begin to talk about this without pointing out that Bono used clips of Salam Neighbor when he was speaking and introducing Obama at the Leaders Summit on the global refugee yeah. crisis. And I was like, "What Coolest the fuck?" Moment in my life. I know. I was like, "Okay." So and they didn't even give us tickets to go see it. Oh. I was like, "Oh, at least let us see <laughs> Rauf up on screen." You know, like. Oh. But it's. I mean, I'm not complaining. It was. It was amazing. Yeah, you guys were like in the same breath as Bono and Obama, so that's pretty <laughs> much just like check, check, check. You, you guys made it. You did such a powerful thing in this film, and it's just like, what prompted you guys to even be like. Let's let's go to one of the biggest refugee camps in the Middle East and and try and live there for a little bit. Yeah, it feels so far fetched from the first experience, but it was actually out of touring with Living on One Dollar, showing people this film. So many people started opening up about their own stories, and we met this woman named Salam Darwasa in Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles, and she we had this amazing conversation and. She started talking about what it means to be forced to flee your home, what it means to have to restart your life um, in a country where you might not even have the same rights as normal or citizens or speak the same language. And she was uh, the daughter of Palestinian refugees. Um, and just hearing that story and, and knowing the Syrian refugee crisis at that time, so this was 2013, um, was already the largest refugee crisis since World War II. We just felt like, again, this gut moment where we had to learn more. And it's something that I had never, I never talked to a refugee before. And, um, we partnered with Salam and, and, uh, Mohab Khatab. So half the team we built was Arab and half the team was American. Um, it was for Chris and I's pretty much first time in the Middle East. Um, we were lucky enough to become the first filmmakers ever to be given a tent in a refugee camp. And for us, that was so important because this whole piece was really about just creating a dialogue. There's so many missed kind of monologues mm -hmm. passing each other. We needed a space to end time because in this camp, Zatari camp, which is the largest Syrian refugee camp in the world, you know, 75,000 people or depending on when you're there, but you, you know, we, we had to have this space to invite people in instead of just kind of invading other people's space. Yeah. And that's what really drives the film. And being able to do that was this kind of amazing privilege and hear these stories and, and weave that together to kind of help tell at least a little bit of that, of yeah. that experience. And one thing I loved about, about this film is that I, my kind of pet peeve is a really weak word for this. My issue with a lot of, um, horrible things happening in the world i.e the refugee crisis is it becomes so overwhelming that people kind of like turn their feelers off and they're like these are just statistics and yeah you guys really approach this like you're in a refugee camp you're with refugees but you don't approach them like you're just a refugee you really approach them like people and you get to know them as people and then like after you get you know them as people you find out like 
their their refugee story their their what led them to be a right. refugee and, and how they fled syria and and that really comes from thing. them i mean if you talk to someone like ismail who's this first guy we met and we, i immediately connected because in the film i even say this he looks like my dad when he was young so i was just like wow there's some connection here and you know of course ismail he was studying to become a french teacher he has two kids he's this incredible fashionable yeah super (laughs) capable young man and of course he doesn't want to be known as a refugee he identifies as being a father as a student as a as a syrian as you know all these things that come before refugee and so that's really what led us to tell that story in that way um because for them you know, and I think honestly, knowing that because we make it a point to go back and show the film to the people, the subjects of the film before we release it. Oh yeah, that's, um, that's just going back and knowing that I had to have to show this to Ismail and and thinking about how he'd react if if he is portrayed in the wrong way. I mean, it yeah. just make it's just some sort of uh, something that we found really important. But um, yeah, those screenings were hilarious. Ismail was like. He looked at the film and, you know, we were just showing on a laptop and he's like, I can't believe this is any good, you know? And we're just like, yeah, thanks, I guess. <laughs> like, we tried really hard. <laughs> yeah, and of course, we're like, you know, in a tent with him, like drinking tons of tea, everything. Uh, I, mean, I could see how in the moment he was like, who are these kids? What are they doing with these <laughs> film cameras? But And then you're like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's been cool. I mean, especially with Syrians. They're so connected and and so aware of what we're saying here. You know, everyone has cell phones yeah. that are, you know, smartphones. So they're listening to what we're saying. And so even just, you know, making sure that we're representing them in the way that representing them in the way they want to be mm-hmm. is so important because that's what they're hearing and they're listening. And, and it's scary to think about what they're hearing now coming from our president, coming from so much of our country. Um, so, I, you know, I think this film is at least a little bit of way of hopefully uh, representing them in the way they want it to and be. connecting them to people who wouldn't otherwise not be connected to them and, and kind of vice versa. Yeah. Um, it's, I think that's one thing that it's hard for Americans to understand because it seems like a Middle Eastern issue. I'm I'm doing air quotes for those of you who are who are listening to this and not watching it. It's a air quote Middle Eastern issue. It's a air, air quote Syrian issue. Um, it's a over there issue. It's it's not something that that affects us, but it it should. And I believe that really strongly because I I went to high school in Amman, Jordan. Oh wow. Um, I went. I lived there for three years and really like it's like such an obvious fact in my mind because of that 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 country is so filled with refugees they're so welcoming and this was before the syrian crisis yeah palestinians palestinian iraqis uh, yeah, Af- yeah. afghan uh, afghanis like every everyone from everywhere is just so welcomed and it got to a point that not they had already had so many refugees and then the the serious the syrian refugee crisis happened and they accepted so many syrian refugees before they were like we need to build the zatari refugee camp because we, our economy literally can't and this is a this is a developing nation yeah and it's a small country you guys compare it to the state of indiana in your in your film right. it's small and it's doing so much and so i see that happening and i'm like we can do more we can do way more yes. and we're not and i think that's something that your film portrays and i think that's something that people kind of need to grasp in america because i think certain 
politicians paint this picture like we help so many people we let so many people in and then when you look at the real numbers like that's not true especially when it comes to refugees yeah and and another huge and we help a lot of people but it's all relative right yeah like, to our the size of our economy and to the number of people we have you know we like to be we like to say the statistic that we're you know we resettle more refugees than any country in history which is true but not per capita not per capita not even close and so like you're saying it's just it's just a way of spinning that and and i mean we focus so much on resettled refugees and the, and the risk of resettling refugees but it's such a small small number 1% of refugees if that get out of a refugee camp right tiny percent and so really i mean for me as like thinking about it on, in an economics way like the investment now in a country like Jordan, which is an ally of the U.S., mm -hmm. is so much better than waiting 10 years and having to just clean up this crazy mess and, mm -hmm. and losing one of, you know, one of the most stable countries yeah. in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And if we don't act now, there will be huge uh, consequences. Yeah. And there already will be, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, there couldn't be a more urgent issue yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's growing it's not slowing down at all right and it's kind of out of the news stream now mm -hmm. so and that's why i love this show is how do you keep bringing up these issues and yeah, and yeah it's it, you know get tired of them but if you go watch the film and you meet raouf it's like it's so different right mm -hmm. these statistics become real and hopefully you have a real story and there are cool endings i mean you know ismail from that film he's this young man and his whole family is now being resettled to Canada. Canada Canada is the only country in the world that has a private sponsorship model. So like a community can actually pick someone and sponsor yeah. them to come. And so, you know, please tell me he's in the French part of Cam Canada. That would like so make me really this is happy. What's crazy is he's, <laughs> he's moving to Nova Scotia. So oh. it's going to be so cold and we've warned him, but he's like, you know, I've been here for now four years, five years in Zatari. Like, of course, I'll go anywhere. I don't care if it's like under 10 feet of snow right yeah. now. Like, he's like I let me fucking home. Right. Think, exactly. Exactly. And four years is a huge chunk of your life. But the average stay, you guys mentioned this in the film, the average um, stay in a refugee camp for a refugee is 17 years. 17 years. And I'm pretty sure it's it's 18 now. Yeah. I, I'm yeah, pretty sure. I'm sure. And I mean, that's the like, film came out in 2016. So, that's yeah. like some people's lifetimes. You know what it's I crazy. mean? That's such a large amount of time. And when you look at that number, it's like there's so many different parts of the refugee crisis that, that need help and and that needs to be focused on but when you when you see that number i'm like want to just shake everybody and be like these people are in refugee camps and there's so many things that we should be doing to help but right now i just want people to kind of focus on helping people in the refugee camps whether it's getting them out or just like boosting education systems and, and yeah. therapy and support systems so that they can go back to wherever they need to go yeah. back to or go to a new country and have the tools to be able to function there and not have have lost X amount of years of their life. Definitely. And I think if people need a connection, this is kind of the part I did not expect at all is there are refugees, of course, resettled all across the country. And these small refugee resettlement agencies are in dire need of volunteers. Mm -hmm. So if you go to slumneighbor.org, you can click on get involved and there's a map and every community, basically major city has some refugee resettlement agency. You're saying in America? In the US, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the US. And literally 
even welcoming someone off the plane or giving them a ride before they have a car makes such a huge difference. And if we, if we need a local, if it, it, like you were saying, if it just feels too far, if it feels like, Oh, it's, it's a middle East problem, then just look locally and, and you can actually have a huge impact. And I think once you meet someone who's gone through an experience like that, like meeting, meeting Salam, that will change you forever. Like their stories are so powerful. Mm hmm the hardest film we've ever made like every single person of 80,000 people in this camp they all had a story worth telling so man it was and you guys breaked out and and cried in the film and and, yeah and part of it Rose story I was crying watching it you guys were crying hearing it it just it, it it's so heartbreaking to see a child have to go through that yeah and then if like it was just his story that was just so moving and heartbreaking you'd be like Okay, but then every other person you talk to, it's just like the, this devastating conversation. But more than that, it's like, I'm, I'm, I don't even know if there's a word for it. These, these people that are just able to like move forward and be so appreciative and happy of life and like want to thrive and want to work and want to do all these incredible things. Yeah. And they, they turn the refugee camp in, into a village and, and they really want to just like make a life for themselves and be incredible. And I just wish more people would see your your film and more people would just understand in general like refugees are only helpless because we make them that right give That's them the exactly tools true. and they're they're ready not to said go it better. and it's you know the Zatari is even a special case with a camp because it grew so fast mm-hmm. that it had to become it was allowed to be more organic and there's a great quote from the director of the camp he's like you know we were building a camp and Syrians were were building a city yeah and I mean, literally, there's Zatari, you know, the Champs Elysees, you know, it's named that because it's a multi-million dollar economy and it's connected to a town and there's there's trading and it feels more like a, some sort of slum in some ways because there is this organic growth, but not all camps are like that. Mm-hmm. And even the camp that, that the UN built after Zatari feels much more like a prison. And it, mm-hmm. it's exactly what you said. It's really us holding people back mm-hmm. by putting them and then it's just, it's all the politics and of course the US the not supporting like you said not supporting Jordan enough mm-hmm. to properly incorporate these people into mm-hmm. the economy because i think we do a stat in in um in the film it's basically like the US bringing in half the population of Mexico mm-hmm. yeah. in 3 years you know yeah. it's an enormous number of people it relative is. to the population of it Jordan. Is. And that's it's just crazy. Syrian refugees. Just Syrian refugees. And the, yeah, already 40% of the population is Palestinian descent, Palestinian mm-hmm. refugee descent. Mm-hmm. You just had tons of Iraqi refugees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a wild situation. Yeah. And it's, I just wish more people knew about it because help the people who are helping. Like, if you don't want to do the helping, help the people that are helping. It's just, yeah, like, there's so many ways to get involved mm-hmm. and either volunteer locally, you know, support policy change get someone else elected <laughs> please that's like your one takeaway from any yes. episode of this show let's get someone who's not orange in the office yes. <laughs> let's start there please um but yeah or you know support incredible organizations and um people have done that even just small amounts build up so you know in, a, in an important so it way. really helps so let's back up a little bit because i think we sort of glossed over how you guys even got into the refugee camp and 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 kind of your your struggles within the camp what 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 were your difficulties going in there you it took a lot of time to even get people to to hear you 
and let you in the camp. What what were your main struggles trying to even create this right. film? Right. So this project was really tough. I mean, one, you're working with the UN, which is an incredibly bureaucratic organization. So just the it took us f- four or five months just to get permission from the UN to be allowed to stay in the camp. And then, you know, Jordan has so much to lose if yeah. we if something happens to us yeah. there. So luckily, because half our team was Arab and, and Salam's parents live in Jordan and Mohab had incredible connections to the royal family, we were able to make sure that they were confident in us at mm-hmm. least going. And in the film, not to give away too much, but of course there's this last minute change where they decide we just can't sleep overnight for a couple hours when it's dark. Um, so it kind of switched up the whole project. It ends up being... A good thing, I promise, if you watch the film. But there's, you know, it's, it's a, there were so many challenges. And we're also coming into a situation where, you know, one, you know, 70% or 75% of refugees are women and children. So, of course, we have to tell women's stories. Yeah. But we're three men telling the story. And it, culturally, it just wasn't acceptable to film women publicly. So finding that safe space, which ended up becoming the International Rescue Committee's mm-hmm. uh, center, was really important that women could tell their story. That was a huge challenge. Just filming in general, there was mobs of children. So every time you had to set up this beautiful sunset shot, you'd have this kid just popping up and like, you know, photobombing your beautiful shot every <laughs> second. So you had that. And then, you know, just yeah, there were so many challenges. But I think... The thing that I was most surprised at, and I was pretty nervous. I mean, going into Zatari camp, it was at a time when Obama had just, you know, kind of gone back on his policy of this kind of red line. He decided not to intervene in Syria. Mm-hmm. The This camp was really upset that he wasn't going to support um, the rebels in Syria. So we were we were pretty much driving into what I thought could potentially be a very, you know, a lot, there could be a lot of animosity and we drive in we get our tent and as soon as we arrive like our neighbors just pile out grab our stuff and set up our tent invite us to tea i've never felt more welcomed in my entire life and i quickly realized that there was an incredible separation between who what we were doing as individuals and what our government was doing yeah and i've never experienced that in a way so i mean i was just overwhelmed with the kindness that we were shown and that's just our experience throughout this this one month that we were there and um you know something that i i definitely respect our our neighbors for being able to do i'm not sure that we would have been shown the same kindness in the u.s if it had been a reverse situation yeah. so and it, it's it's crazy it's crazy crazy to see and it's crazy to think about these people and uh, this this happens in living on one as well these people who have like nothing in this scenario they lost right. all their things they left all belongings behind they meet these new people and they're like hey let me let me make you some tea let me cook yes. you some food oh you don't know the traditional the dishes. hospitality like, was unbelievable incredible and if i lost weight in guatemala i definitely gained weight <laughs> in the refugee camp it, it was there a favorite food you had oh my god oh, so much food the food the syrian food is incredible lebna the hummus the uh, the kibe like it was some of the incredible, like truly incredible cooking. It's delicious. Arab yeah. food is my like favorite yes. kind of food. I mean, you lived in Jordan. Yeah. yeah. You must know. It's like, <laughs> you know, and 
Oh man, it was so good. It's so good. I know. I'm like, that's like the only pro. Um, I feel like for you guys being like, okay, now we're going to go try all this amazing food. Yeah. <laughs> and you do feel again, guilty. You're like, oh my God, how are you affording this and giving yeah. me this? And, but it's trying one of those to things. Like, it's rude if you don't. Oh, yeah. And they like want to actually be your friends and they want to engage. Yeah. And they're just so hospitable and it's just a natural thing. They're not, they're right. not even trying to do it. They just don't know any. Right. And they're just sharing kind of what they're eating too. It wasn't necessarily like every meal was this extravagant meal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the economy of this camp, I could just go into like for hours, you know, a lot of times, you know, aid isn't effectively distributed. So you see in this camp, UN was trying to catch up to Syrians in a lot of ways. So, you know, at first it was just parcels of like bulk food that would be given to Syrians. Of course, they're like, this is crap rice. They'd sell it on the black market, buy better rice from (laughs) like the market and cook their food and of course that's not efficient for the un so they have now luckily started to move towards more like debit card system where people actually can you know get an allowance and go to a kind of a grocery store or use it in the market um to actually buy what they want and it's again getting at this point of like dignity and choice and yeah like what are the methods that we're doing to partner with people instead of just kind of treat them in a patronizing way. Yeah. And Assyrians are some of the most entrepreneurial people I've ever met in my life. And the idea that you just wouldn't give them that option is crazy. So Yeah, and it's sad to see. I mean, I, again, that, that issue seems so far away. But if, if anyone listening could just sit there for like one minute and forget the devastation that happens when you're a refugee because you're fleeing this horrible war-torn scenario, probably like, I, I don't even want to go into the graphic details because I have, obviously haven't lived it. But you're not just leaving because because you're bored of where you were it's it's because you really are in a traumatic situation and then to go somewhere and then just like imagine being stripped of choices right. like i am the type of person who like when someone tells me to do something i'm like i'm gonna go do the opposite like right it's so incredibly like frustrating to even fathom not having a choice and then to think of us doing that to like a- any anybody who becomes refugees just it, yeah. it's just so backwards to me and i think that's what Someone like Ismail, who it's like, yeah, he'll go to Nova Scotia, like Antigonish, Canada. Like yeah. he's like, yeah, let me go there. Yeah, he's like, I'm um, down, guys. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's totally understandable that he, someone who just comes from such a educated and um, cap- capable background, yeah. I think that's what's driving him crazy more than anything is just yeah. boredom. Some more wine. Um, yeah, sure. Thanks. And yeah, I mean, we just t- chat on WhatsApp sometimes and. He just, you know, he's just so ready to be restarting his life I'm again. I'm sure. I'm sure. Just like out of the refugee camp and back to civilization and like able to go on dates and to go out to dinner yeah. and to go watch a movie and like. And he's so appreciative of every of just being able to at least survive. But at the same time, you can't expect someone for. I mean, we're in the eighth year, the start of the eighth year of the Syrian conflict. This is not mm-hmm. like a short term situation and a lot of terms times people are being treated like it is a short-term situation Mm -hmm. right this is we need long-term solutions real opportunity and and we need people in power who want to push this in the right direction yeah i i i'm just gonna go on rant here for a second i do this on on my story a lot um i i did this when the bombings were happening in aleppo was being like this is what's happening but guys understand the politics behind it i view like all these issues are man-made you know what i mean like they're not 
they're not environmental. They're all man-made, so they can all be fixed by men, is how is how I see it, or women. Um, Putin, Russia, supports Assad, who is mm-hmm. bombing his own people, which is why people need to leave the country, because they're being bombed by their president. And our president is starting to support that way of thinking. And that's just my one little tangent, and we don't have to go into it, but Google it and, and make your own decisions about it. Yes, I just think Google. It's not, it's not something that is like, Black, it's not something that's pointed to a lot. And, and for me, that's frustrating because I'm like, our politics matter because we can help people through our politics. We can help people through our everything. So and we've done aware, tons of screenings getting to this point, tons of screenings around the U.S. And a big point of this film was to, to show it in communities that don't normally have the opportunity to engage with refugees. Yeah. Um, and so lots of awesome conversations, a lot of people who had never even thought about these issues and at the same time once they had seen it were thinking so critically about them and care deeply Mm -hmm. and a a very common question is why don't syrians stay and fight their own war like we did we did this in our own revolution why didn't why aren't these people staying and like you're saying this is not a syrian just a syrian war Mm -hmm. this is a proxy war for Russia, They're the U.S., Iran, Saudi Arabia. Like, I mean, it's so mm-hmm. far beyond. Mm-hmm. Like when Ismail talks about it, he's like, this is in my war. Yeah. You know, like it's, I don't even know who's fighting and like mm-hmm. for what. So it's just really important to just understand the deep geopolitical politics that are driving this mm-hmm. thing. And like you said, they're solvable because it's if, if, we if our it, president we really cared, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's very complicated. And I don't have the solution, clearly, but partial solution. That's yes, a huge takeaway from your film. Yeah, it doesn't have sure. to be one thing. We're not. You know, we're not going to solve the refugee crisis in this conversation. We're not going to solve poverty in this conversation. But I think having this conversation to take action of their own kind. Yeah. Um, which again, I draw. I draw back to something that Living on One Dose does so well. You guys had great social impact initiatives after this film as well. At the end of the film, you highlight three um, things. You talk about how important education is. You talk about how important it is to support countries that are supporting refugees. And you talk about how important it is to empower women and girls and children. Yeah. And like that, that's all true in life, but especially in this crisis. Going through that process, what do you think was like the biggest thing you learned or the biggest thing that you didn't think you were going to learn and you were just like, oh, shit, about Right. I mean, I was blown away with just the abilities of Syrians to, you know, construct some form of life and economy in the middle of nothing. And and again, it just made me realize that camps are not the solution Mm -hmm. that given, again, the opportunity to do something, you know, people can run with it. So how like thinking about the things that we need. And, and, uh, one of the coolest things is in our, in our impact campaigns, we kind of focus on two levels. One is grass tops, which is kind of a fancy word of just saying, not grassroots, not grassroots. <laughs> and, exactly. So focusing on providing human stories to people like ambassador, Samantha powers, or, you know, Bono at the, you know, refugee convention, uh, allowing to use people that use stories like Rauf's this young 12 year old boy who can't go back to school because his school got bombed and he has this trauma and has to overcome that. 
Um, and I, it was pretty amazing to see how people could with those tools, use them really effectively. So we partnered and you mentioned global citizen. Uh, we partnered with global citizen. Ralph became the face of this campaign. It was like him and Selma Hayek, like co-presenting in a video to at the world humanitarian summit. We had all these petitions signed and Ralph is the one handing over these hundreds of thousands of petitions to world leaders, like former, Prime Minister Gordon Brown at this summit. And in that summit, they raised $90 million for um, education for refugees around the world. And just, I mean, it really was encouraging to see how human stories are, are again, just so powerful, at least to provide a spark for change. Yeah. Um, and seeing that happen when it's your film or your buddy Raouf uh, is is really rewarding and that's that's why we are filmmakers and that's why it's not so weird for me to think about how i came from becoming you know going from an economics degree to now a documentary filming career so you know yeah and you're seeing the the differences manifest it's not theoretical you're actually seeing it yeah and that's a big mantra i think we talk a lot about it's so easy to pat yourself on the back when you get something goes viral yeah or you know, when you get a ton of views on Netflix, I mean, how cool is that? It's been seen by millions of people, but people are, you know, we're truly trying to measure our success. And again, the the minds change, the lives, the lives change and the policies change. Yeah. And these like actually things that matter it. tangibly, which is tough, you know, it's, and how to make that sustainable and how to yeah. make that, um, entertaining for yeah. an audience because it's still a film mm-hmm. you know these are things we're struggling with with every film we make definitely um following up to that thought what we 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 passed through this earlier kind of like the refugee crisis is not in the news anymore even though the crisis is still there oh, it's not yeah, something that not the news. people are discussing anymore and and it's heartbreaking how if you how, what's your advice how do we keep society paying attention yeah, I'm I'm in this internal debate right now with with paying attention in the U.S. So like it's almost a good thing that the ref- the Syrian refugee crisis isn't as much in the news with Trump being because the president. It could be bad, in the yeah, news. It because be every time good. something in the news cycle with Trump hits a really big chord, something really bad happens. So it is in yeah, this. It's just in this strange balance right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what. What I try and do, and this is what we've tried to do with Living on One, and and I know this is not possible for everyone, but I think, like I said, change happens over a long period of time, and we can't do everything. But if you can develop a partnership with someone or an issue or an organization that is rewarding over a long period of time, that will create real change. Definitely. So how to, you know, hopefully you're working with an organization that's going to keep you invigorated and interested and there's so many stories to be telling. Um, but we've been able to, you know, continue storytelling in Peña Blanca for eight years. And we still have this incredibly engaged audience that was willing to sponsor 76 preschoolers last week, you know, after five years after this Mm -hmm. film release. So, um, there are ways to create long-term partnerships. And I think, you know, finding what resonates with you can be a lifelong journey, but, but willing to take a risk and, and kind of like dive deep for a while. Mm-hmm. That's what we try and do. 
I love that. I, I think that's so true. And I think that's something that like everyone can learn from. It's like, just do one thing and, and help that person or get one person to help this person. And you just kind of spark this huge yeah. change and, and film and art in general is a great way to do that. And, and storytelling in general is a powerful way to do that. One thing I struggle with a lot in my life as a, as a humanitarian, as a storyteller, and, and I wonder if, if it's something you guys have struggled with too. I see your incredible films. I, I see what you're doing and it's so powerful and, and it's so wonderful that you guys are dedicating your lives to this. But I always, and I think this because I see it in my own work, it's like, I can't help but wonder like, why can't Syrians tell their own stories? Like you're, you're a white American male. Why, how do you feel about this like white savior kind of concept? Yes, and- it's something I think about every single day and making sure that you're, one, not, you know, uh, you know, using these people for mm-hmm. the wrong reasons. I I think the storytelling, and if you watch these films, I'd love to hear what people think, your audience thinks, and if we've done this appropriately. Well, you're still sleeping on Anthony's floor, so I think you're like... Yeah, you're really but I think it's it's such a delicate balance, right? Like, how how do you tell these stories in a way? And, and these are people that I care about. But yes, I am a white male living in the United States. Um, am I the right person to tell it? But would anybody tell Anthony's story if I wasn't telling it? Um, it's a constant debate. I don't have the answer. You know, and I think that's what's life is tough and you have to make these decisions. And I, I, I love when people give feedback on our films. And I think we spend so much time thinking about, are we doing this appropriately? And what is the purpose, especially because Chris and I are in our films Mm -hmm. or in these two films, we have other films that we're not in and the current one we're not in, but, but what is our role as storytellers? Mm -hmm. And each film is very different. Um, Salam Neighbor, our role is to demonstrate that dialogue is possible, that having this tent, and I think my favorite scene in the whole film is when our friends, you know, at the last day, we're having this kind of like celebration or goodbye, farewell celebration. And a friend of ours asked, do you see us as we see ourselves perceived in the news as violent, as terrorists? And that was so powerful for me because because this is a moment where he's really like making me realize that they're, they're listening. Right. And, um, and I think that scene without us wouldn't be as powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, and, and, and it just, when do we play a role in there? How do we do this is something I'm constantly trying to evaluate. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned to our final installment of the haven't said enough about refugees segment where we sit down with the amazing Erica Barraza, founder and CEO of EV Realities, to discuss her work as a social entrepreneur and her first-hand experience working with refugees landing on the shores of Greece.